Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Hey everybody, my name is Dave, and it is good to be with you today. I pastor a church in the state of Wisconsin and in the city of Kenosha, which is just south of Milwaukee. If you've never been there, you gotta trust me, it is a tropical paradise. I've been married to my wife, Rindy, R-I-N-D-Y, for 26 years. We have two amazing kids and another one. So you figure out which one that is when you're looking at that picture. So in the 1980s, one of the... uh, most popular options for children and teenagers who just wanted to hang out and have some fun was to go to an indoor mall and walk around. I think about how times have changed, right? That's what we did if we were bored. And obviously in the past decade, uh, and even more than that, malls have been turning into museums. But when I was growing up, they were centers of entertainment. And in the 1980s, almost every mall in America had an arcade. And of course, when there's an arcade, those of you in my generation will know the games that were out there, right? We had Pac-Man, and we had Galaga, and Centipede, and Donkey Kong, Frogger, right? Pole Position. We had all these games to choose from. But if those games were kind of taken, and we were just walking around trying to find something to do, there was another game at the arcade, mostly used by kids, but every so often, even as teenagers, uh, we would walk over and use it, and that was called Whack-A-Mole, Yeah, right? It was uh, this game where small plastic moles would pop their heads up at increasing rates of speed. Sometimes two moles would pop up at the exact same time. And the mission was to take a mallet and strike those moles down whenever they would appear. And, And if you did not hit them fast enough or if you missed them, you just didn't score. So the idea was you put a quarter in or 50 cents and for the next 60 seconds or so, you're taking out all of this crazy aggression on these moles. Now, you don't need me to tell you this, but in life, there are issues that seem to be like moles that just keep popping up over and over and over. And if we do not learn to strike them down, they're gonna cause destruction in our life. Now, I intentionally use the word strike down, not destroy, not obliterate. And the reason why is because we're never going to obliterate these things. We're never going to strike them down or uh, um, completely destroy them. All we can do is just strike them down every time they pop up their heads because they're never going to go away for good. And many of these moles, many of these destructive issues that seem to surface are not things that when we were kids, we could have ever predicted. Right? We would never have guessed that these issues would have ever been issues, right? Because when we were children or we were teenagers, we were naive. For example, when uh, we uh, would eat Pop Rocks and then drink Coke, we thought our stomach would explode, right? We thought, man, this is, uh, this is not going to end well. And then we realized, oh, that's not true. That's just a myth. Or we thought if we swallow gum, and it got into our stomach, we would not digest it for how long? Seven years. 
It was this myth that we just bought onto. Why? Because we were naive. We, we believed that if we went swimming right after we ate something, we would cramp up and die. Now, we didn't know anybody who had ever cramped up and died, but, uh, died, but we, we thought that's what would happen. We were naive. And one of the areas that we were most naive about is we thought all adults were mature and knew how to manage their emotions. Because not only were we naive, we were idealistic. And we looked at the adults in our life for the most part, right? I realize some are from crazy dysfunctional families. Everybody's from a dysfunctional family, but if you're from a crazy one, maybe you had a more realistic view. But for most kids, we, we looked at our parents and their friends and we thought, man, they've got life figured out. They know how to manage their emotions. They know how to manage their finances. They're great at making big decisions. They can fix anything that breaks. They always seem to be really, really responsible. But then we become adults. And we look around and all of our friends are adults. And we slowly begin to realize that being an adult isn't what we imagined when we were kids. And we discover that there's lots of issues that pop up in our life that if we don't strike them down, will cause us destruction. And what's interesting is the issues that cause destruction aren't obvious. They're, they're not things that we predicted or saw coming, right? They're, they're very, very subtle. Things like cynicism or, or burnout or pride or, or disconnection or emptiness. And certainly there's lots of things that can be destructive in our lives. There's lots of issues that we could point to today. But when we... What I want to focus in on for the time we have together is something we see played out in a disproportionate way. And that is the people in our life who lead us down a bad path if we're not paying attention. I want to focus in on the people we spend time with. When it comes to friendships, we need to be very, very selective in who we choose to be our closest friends because there are people that we like, there are people we, we are drawn to, but if we're paying attention, there really end up being moles in our life that cause more, good, more, more harm than good. Now, I'll be honest, I, I hesitated talking about this today and the reason why is we're adults, right? And, and this isn't something that you'd expect one adult to talk to another adult about. This is something you'd expect a parent to talk to a child about. But in reality, who we choose to be in our circle of closest friends is a really, really big deal. Now in our culture, when we talk about choosing or selecting someone to be in our life, we almost always do it in the context of emotional or romantic relationships. Right? So we say, hey, you're selecting this person, you're choosing this person, it's almost always romantic. I mean, think about all the tabloid articles or magazine articles you read. Think about the shows that you see on Netflix or movies that you watch. Think about the songs that are being released. There is a massive amount of content focused on romantic relationships. Who's sleeping with who? Who's dating who? Right? Who's getting married to who? But there is very little being written about in regards to friendships. And what's interesting is everything on romantic relationship is so idealistic. If you've ever watched The Bachelor, you got one guy surrounded by 20 some beautiful women and then he gets to go on dates with all these women and the dates are just so, you know, so incredible. They get into a helicopter, they fly to a glacier, they have a table set up and a candle's there and U2 is in the background playing music for them. Come on, I could fall in love with my sister in an environment like that. All right? But all of that is idealistic, it's hyped up, it's emotional. 
But we, again, th- this area of friendships and who we choose to be in our inner circle is not something that we naturally are drawn to talking about. And yet it's super important. And the reason why is because during our adolescent years, our parents, for the most part, are shaping who we are and who we're becoming. But after we leave our parents' house, it is our friends, for the most part, that are shaping who we are and who we are becoming. So put another way, our friends determine our future. I'm guessing you've heard that phrase in some way, shape, or form before, but our friends determine our future. Our friends influence where our life is headed. Our friends shape our values. Our friends cultivate our worldview. Our friends impact the quality of our life. So I'm gonna say it again, we need to choose our friends carefully. Sociologists tell us the average person has anywhere between 500 and 2,500 social interactions every single year. Now, I'm sure you can imagine this, but introverts are going to be at the low end of the scale and extroverts at the high end of the scale. Some of you, you're completely off the charts in one uh, direction or the other, right? If you're a flight attendant or you come from an Italian family, (laughs) you are an extrovert to the extreme, right? But others of you, you are, uh, you're, you're one of these people that you never leave your house. You, you door dash for every meal. The only reason you're a part of this church is because you can watch online and that's totally fine. But generally speaking, all of us have lots of relationships we need to manage. And so it be, would be wise for us to pause every so often and consider who we're spending time with because our friends determine our future. King Solomon explains it this way. He says, he who walks with the wise will become wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. The implication is that if you walk with and you surround yourself with wise people, you will almost automatically, very little effort, very little intentionality, become wise as well because you're surrounding yourself with wise people. And just so we're on the same page, wise people, as Solomon writes about them, are people who live today with tomorrow in mind, right? They make choices in which they're not just thinking about the moment and they're not just caught up in what's happening today, but they're thinking about the future. And so Solomon says, if you hang out with people who are making choices today with tomorrow in mind, they're thinking about the future, the likelihood of you living in a similar way is gonna be really, really high. But then Solomon writes, the companion of fools suffers harm. You'd think he'd say, walk with the wise, become wise, walk with fools, and you become a fool. But he doesn't say that. He says it's worse than that. He says, if you are the friend of a fool, you will suffer harm because of them in some way. If you surround yourself with, if you walk with, if you live with foolish people, if you do life with people who believe that, and make all of their decisions as though they're living in one big bubble and that the things they do today has no impact or effect on their life tomorrow, the greater the odds that you will suffer harm. In other words, when their life goes bad, your life goes bad. And just like the wise person is someone who makes decisions today with tomorrow in mind, the fool is someone who makes decisions today with today in mind. They're only thinking about the moment. They're only thinking about right now. And he says, the closer you are, to hanging out with people who live like, like, like that, the greater odds of something bad happening to you. Now, just to kind of free us all 
We've all been that fool, that person before, right? We've all been the fool. We've all been the person who lives in the moment. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I get a call from my son's cell phone. And so I answer and I say, Domino's. And on the other end was not my son. It was a police officer. And uh, he said, hey, Mr. Nelson. He said, my name is officer so-and-so. I pulled your son, Jaden, the 17 year old kid over for reckless driving. And I said, you sure you didn't pull over his mother? Because I've seen her drive. Now he says, hey, listen, uh, I had to pull him over for, for reckless driving. And he said, I'm just so concerned. He was going through this parking lot. He's out of control. And I said, hey, give him whatever ticket he needs to. Um, but uh, he does have to obviously suffer some consequences for this. And he goes, well, I'm calling you because he is going to have to go to court and different things. Now here's the thing. My son, Jaden, is honestly a really good kid. He, uh, he, he serves at our church regularly. Uh, he volunteers with a nonprofit in our community. He's got a, a job working like 25, 30 hours a week. I mean, just a good kid. And when he came home that day, because I was kind of surprised that, that he was the one pulled over. He didn't blame anybody. He didn't point fingers. He said, dad, here's what happened. I got caught up in the moment. My friends were in the car. I was showing them the power this thing has. And so he goes, I, I, I'm not going to even excuse this. I'm sorry. But I said, Jaden, here's the reality. We've all been that person, right? We, we all get caught up in the moment, but you don't want to live your life like that. Because if you live like your life like that, you become the fool. And so Solomon says, when you hang out with foolish people, you will inevitably catch the shrapnel from their bad decisions. And this is why in his book, Proverbs, Solomon writes that the righteous choose their friends carefully. Now, a righteous person is a person of character. And Solomon writes that a person of character is selective in who they hang out with. They choose their friends wisely. That's not talking about every person that we hang out with, not every coworker and every peer and every acquaintance in our life, but he's talking about those who we've allowed into our inner circle, those who are closest to us. He's talking about those we spend the most time with because our closest friends are the ones we're gonna let our guard down with, right? They're gonna determine the conversations that get our attention. They're gonna affect our attitudes and our behaviors. They're gonna impact our thinking and our worldview. All types of studies, all types of research has been done on this. And it's been this over and over and over, uh, the, the conclusion that people have come to is that the people we habitually spend time with will determine as much as 95% of where we end up in life. Now, maybe you're on the low end. Maybe it's 50% of where you end up or 70%, but as much as 95% of where we end up is determined by our friends. Our friends determine our future. And so King Solomon encourages us. He says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Solomon says there's lots of different paths we can take. First off, you better know what path you're going. You better know where you're headed in your faith, where you're headed in your character, where you're headed in your career, where you're headed in your marriage, where you're headed in your parenting. He says, because once you know where you're headed, it's going to be easy to get sidetracked. It's going to be easy to, to veer off. How does that happen? What well, happens by the people we surround ourselves with? They're little moles. Uh, maybe that sounds a little disrespectful, but little moles that are just popping up that we don't see the harm they're doing, but based on what kind of friend they are, they have the potential to lead us astray and cause destruction in our life. So bottom line, we cannot be carefree with who we are spending the bulk of our time with. 
We have to be very, very discerning. So we can't be like we were at kid, like, like as children, right? When we were children, we were naive. And people who are naive sort of trust everyone around them. And they always believe the best about everybody. And as a result, what happens is they find themselves getting hurt a lot because they have such a big heart and they open themselves up to everybody. Don't open yourself up to everybody and let everybody in to who you are. We cannot be naive. On the other end of the spectrum, we can't be paranoid either. Right? People who are paranoid are always fearful. They're always suspicious of other people. Right? Their dream, these paranoid people, is just to have a home out in the country. They live off the grid and they're waiting for Armageddon. Right? And they're just always concerned about the world around them. If you're watching from Menachee, I'm sure, I'm sure you've been there and I'm sure that's why you're living there. Right? But here's the deal. We don't have to be naive or paranoid when it comes to friendships. But we do have to be discerning. Discerning people are very selective in who they hang out with. Discerning people have no problem treating different people differently based on different factors. Now, before I say anything else, I, I just I, I want to be really, really clear. And I hope this is just assumed, but I'm going to say it anyways. Everyone is equal in the sight of God. We believe that. Everyone has equal value. Everyone has equal worth. Everyone is equally loved. But not everyone is equally safe. And not everyone is equally wise. And not everybody is equally helpful. And not everybody is equally life-giving. So discerning people treat different people differently. And if that causes you tension because you don't like doing that, the good news is the people in our life, get to determine how we treat them based on how they behave. So it really is their decision more than it is ours. Throughout the book of Proverbs, King Solomon of Israel writes about different types of people, and then he gives us wisdom on how to treat them and interact with them. So one of the groups that Solomon writes about is people who are wise. And when it comes to wise people, Solomon advises us to invest our time with those who are wise. Now, these are people that we need to go after. When you see someone making decisions today with tomorrow in mind, go after them, run after them, chase after them, try to spend time with them. About a decade ago, I was uh, reading books from a guy named Larry. He lives in the San Diego area. And the more I read, the more I realized, I want this guy influencing my life. And he was just through his books. But I happened to be going to San Diego. So I, uh, I sent his assistant an email. I tracked it down and said, hey, would you ever be open to spending 15, 20, 30 minutes with me? And I, uh, if I'm with some friends uh, that may be able to come with me, can, can, would you hang out with us? And, we, and I could not believe it. Larry responded himself and said, let's do it. I was like blown away. This guy would spend some time with me. But I looked at uh, what he's writing about parenting and looked at what he's writing about leadership and looked at what he's writing about these different arenas of life and said, dude, I want this in my life. And to this day, Larry meets with me every time I go to San Diego. But I had to chase that and I had to pursue it. People who are wise are people who have a habit of making good decisions in their relationships and in their finances and in their parenting, in their career, and in the key areas of their life. And the reason they have a habit of making good decisions is because they're constantly thinking about the future. It doesn't mean every decision they make is right. It just means they're, they're doing their best to navigate the challenges of life, thinking about the future. Now, wise people aren't necessarily knowledgeable in every area of life, but because they're wise, they know that. They're not know-it-alls. They're humble. They're teachable. 
This is why King Solomon writes, instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. So a wise person is always wanting to grow. A wise person tries their best to embrace reality, right? Lots of people ignore reality. Wise people say we're gonna do our best to live in reality. So if you got a wife that's crying a lot, She's been mysteriously quiet lately and she spends a few hours every week cleaning her gun, you know, looking at you from different angles, right? Don't ignore reality. A wise person embraces reality. A wise person is marked by words like humble and teachable and responsible. They're always seeking to learn and grow and understand. They welcome feedback. They welcome correction. They want people to speak into their life. These are the people we should be seeking out and walking alongside. Another group of people that Solomon writes about is foolish people. And when it comes to foolish people, Solomon advises us to limit our time with those who are fools. Now, I know the word fool sounds really, really harsh. Right? It sounds really insensitive and really judgmental. But it's important for us to know there is a big difference between being judgmental and using good judgment. Right? If I'm being judgmental, what I'm doing is I'm elevating myself above uh, other people. I'm thinking of myself as better than them because I haven't made the same destructive decisions they've made. Right? I see myself as better than them. That, that's being judgmental. Using good judgment is just knowing where I want to go in life and then surrounding myself with people who are moving in a similar direction. Because a fool is the, the opposite of a wise person. A fool just doesn't think much about where they want to go in life. They don't think about the direction they're headed. And so Solomon warns us, if we are a companion of fool, a fool, we will suffer harm. When their life goes bad, our life goes bad. And a fool isn't someone who necessarily lacks intellect, but they do lack the humility to learn. And so Solomon writes, fools despise wisdom and discipline. When you're dealing with a fool, all they want to do is argue. It doesn't matter what you post on social media, they're going to debate. They're going to come after you. When someone's foolish, you can't teach them anything, right? Because they know everything. They always have an excuse. They don't want wisdom. They don't like discipline. They don't like order. They don't like responsibility. A fool doesn't like habits in their life. A fool is someone who's always looking for a get-rich-quick scheme, right? They're always looking for some sort of shortcut. That is the mark of foolishness. And the primary way that foolish people learn is through painful consequences, right? A wise person, they're going to learn through the mistake of others. They'll have their own mistakes from time to time, but they're mostly learning from the mistake of others. A fool is always going to learn through their own mistakes, right? They don't learn about money until they've lost all their money. They don't go to a marriage counselor until their spouse is left. They don't read a parenting book until their kids have a full-blown meth lab in the basement, Right? Now, to be fair, and I'm obviously being lighthearted, I think all of us have had times in life where we've been that fool and we've made foolish decisions and we weren't thinking about the future. But what Solomon is doing is he's warning us to spend limited time with people who have a habit and a pattern in their life of making those kind of decisions. A fool is marked by words like proud and unteachable and selfish and irresponsible. A fool never wants to change, right? They want everyone else to change around them. But for them, they're going to reject feedback. They're going to reject, uh, reject correction. 
And so we have to choose to limit our time with those who are fools. And I'm gonna be honest with you, that's hard to do. And the reason why is because fools are fun to hang out with. Guys, it's fun to hang out with a fool because all they're thinking about all the time is, a good, is, is having fun. They don't think about words like responsibility or cost or any kind of consequences. So the thing about foolish people is we like to be around them because they're fun, but we don't respect them. We wouldn't hire them. We wouldn't marry them. We wouldn't let our kids marry them. We wouldn't ask them for advice. They're fun, but they're irresponsible. And what they do is they look for a responsible person so they can back up their truck of responsibilities and dump it all over them. Now, I hope I'm not sounding cruel. Like I said, I'm just trying to be lighthearted. But man, I, I've seen good kids turn into fools because their parents and their friends and their network around them enabled their behavior. Right? So you got a 37-year-old living in the basement who does nothing, doesn't contribute to society. It's like, mom, can you pay my bills? Right? Can you do my laundry? Mom, can I drive your car? Can I live in your house? Mom, can you make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Oh, cut off the crust, mom, please, please. Hey, listen, here, see, if you have an adult child living in your house and they're not contributing and they're not going to college and they have no job and they're just mooching off of you, here's my advice to you. Go into their bedroom Unplug their computer, their laptop, their video game system, and then tase them. Drag their body outside. You're not going to kill them. And just say, goodbye, time to move on. Now, again, I'm being light about it, but here's the deal. You have to be, if you want, uh, if you want to be very, uh, if you want to be a wise person, then you have to limit your time around fools and you can't allow the people in your life that are closest to you that you have some sort of impact on, like your children, turn into the fool. Now, the flip side of that, some of you, you have parents that are the fool. And so you need to put up boundaries with your parents because they're taking advantage of you. They're causing toxic environments when they're around you. They're saying hurtful things all the time. And so even with parents, sometimes we have to say, hey, I'm gonna spend limited time with you. Now, we don't have to be the dork that literally comes out and says, I am spending limited time with you. I am going to have less time with you and more time with these people. And we don't say it. We just start scheduling our life differently, right? We, we just make ourselves busy so we can't hang out with the fool as much as we might be drawn to. Final group of people that Solomon writes about is a group of individuals he refers to as evil people. And when it comes to evil people, we have to learn to protect our time from those who are evil. Now, I realize, harsh term, evil. But that really is uh, the appropriate term. And evil people are different than foolish people, right? Foolish people inadvertently are gonna cause problems in our life just because they're irresponsible. Evil people intentionally cause you problems. They're looking to hurt you. Now, if you have someone in your life who every couple months maybe says something really hurtful and then they come back and they apologize and they say, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. Most likely you're dealing with a fool because uh, an evil person never wants to apologize. They're, they're never going to because they're evil. They, they want to hurt you. Sometimes foolish people do things because there's mental health involved or they're having a really bad day or they just lack self-control. And so it's, it's important that we don't just place a fool in the category of evil, right? But evil people like to create pain and hurt. And oftentimes it's because they've been hurt. Right? You've heard the phrase, hurting people hurt people. 
And evil people are very scary to be around. They're dangerous. So we need to learn to put up boundaries with them, which can be hard, especially if you are related to them, right? Some of us, we have family or extended family and they would fall into that category and how hurtful and evil they can be and mean-spirited. And yet we have to use wisdom and say, man, I'm just going to do my best to avoid this person at all costs. And I realize there's all sorts of emotions involved, but if we don't put up boundaries, the evil person is gonna torment us. Solomon writes this. He says, wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. He says, their actions are crooked and their ways are wrong. Think about those words, right? Evil, dark, twisted, wrong, crooked. Now, what often happens with evil people, you would think, well, doesn't everybody just avoid evil people? Nope. What often happens is if you're a halfway decent person, you want to try to rescue and save and help the evil person. So you get involved and you, you want to be friends with them because you think you can change them. I mean, we see this in romantic relationships all the time, right? Someone sees this person and they're drowning in all of their uh, anger and all of their bitterness and all of their venom and hatred. And so this person says, oh, I love this person. I'm gonna go rescue them. The problem is you really can't rescue them because the drowning person doesn't want to be rescued. They wanna pull you down into their life of danger. An evil person is marked by words like dangerous and entitled and threatening and bitter and selfish and hurtful. We need to be very careful and put up boundaries around them. Now, if you want to know to the extreme of this, if you, uh, from time to time, you may see this, where an evil person actually gets together with another evil person. And then you have Bonnie and Clyde, right? You have, you have business partners who are just ruthless and they form an unholy alliance. They're married people that are just cruel and heartless. They're very, very dangerous. And the only kind of relationship we should ever have with an evil person is a professional relationship you're going to need to talk to my attorney. All right, you're, you're going to need to meet with a therapist. You're going to have to talk to a professional. I'm not going to talk. Nope, you can't have my number. Nope, you're not going to be able to date my daughter. Nope, that's not going to happen. Now, I want to be very clear here. Evil people are not beyond help. But they are beyond our help. Right, they need God and a therapist to help them. But we cannot think of ourselves as some savior coming in to rescue them. Do not lie to yourself and think you can help an evil person. You can't because they don't want to be saved. And so what Solomon does is he writes about these three groups of people. The wise, the fool, and the evil person. And every one of us should be able to look at our closest friends and label them pretty quickly. And if there are any fools or any evil people in our closest group of friends, what we need to do is take action. Because if we let our guard down with the wrong people, there are going to be consequences. So when we see a person in our life who's a little bit foolish, we got to take a, a mallet and strike it down. Now, obviously not literally, right? And, and again, we're not being weird. No, I will not hang out with you. We're just, we're distancing ourselves. We're putting up boundaries because we realize that if we don't do that, destruction is going to follow. There's all types of friendships that we have in our life, right? Casual friendships, work friendships, Online friendship, long distance, recreational and activity-based friendships. I mean, the list is endless. And the dynamic of each of those friendships is a big deal because regardless of what type of friendship is, uh, it is, it can evolve into something destructive. It can evolve into something uh, where there's codependence or abuse or destruction at some level. 
If you want a healthy relationship in your life and all of your relationships to be healthy, you have to pursue them and go after them. You have to go after and fight for life-giving friendships, rewarding and beneficial friendships. And when you do, you find that, man, your life is always growing and you're always learning and moving towards a better and more mature life. So bottom line, when it comes to choosing friendships, don't be passive. Wise, foolish, evil. Take inventory of those closest to you. Who do you need to spend more time with? And who do you need to spend less time with? Or maybe move them off the list altogether. King Solomon writes, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, what I'm not saying today is that all of your friends have to have a similar faith to you. And they all have to believe everything and vote the same way and have the same world. I'm not saying that. Many of my friends do not share my faith, but my closest friends do. Now, there's no Bible verse I could give you. There's nobody instructing me to do that. But here's the deal. Jesus hung out with lots and lots of people. And yet his inner circle were the 12 men that he specifically went after and said, I want them in my life. And even of the 12 disciples that he had around him, three of them, Peter, James, and John, he was incredibly close to. I want my closest friends to be people who pray for me and encourage me and call me out when they see something in me that doesn't reflect the ways of Jesus. Now, guys, I am human. Right? No doubt, when someone hurts me in a deep way, it feels good to have a friend or a group of friends who will help me hide a body. No doubt about it. But what I really need in a moment like that is a friend who will remind me, hey, Dave, there's always more to the story. Right? Dave, you've hurt people too. Don't ever forget that. I need people who will challenge me to go down the path of forgiveness. When I've learned something embarrassing about someone... Right? It definitely feels good to have friends that I can share it with and gossip and talk to them and laugh about it, right? But what I really need is a friend who will call me out and just say, come on, Dave, Let, let's not talk about that. When I'm compromising my character in some way, it feels good to have friends who are gonna laugh with me, who are gonna ignore my behavior. But what I really need is a friend who will call me out and challenge me. So let me show you a picture I'm sure you've seen a hundred times before. Golden Gate Bridge, 1.7 miles long. It's painted with a color known as vermilion orange. And what nobody thinks about when they drive over that bridge or they see it, right, they're looking at a picture of it, is all of the maintenance that something like that requires in order to keep it safe and looking good. Right, you might guess, well, uh, they got to paint it at least once a year. Maybe they got to paint it every couple of years. But in reality, the Golden Gate Bridge is consistently being painted. Matter of fact, there's a team of almost 30 people who you never see and you never notice, but they're always painting the bridge. And the reason why is because there's such high salt content in the air. And obviously there's a lot of water around the bridge that inevitably starts causing it to rust and, and to corrode. And if there's a part of the bridge that's unsealed with paint, that steel is going to get corroded. Eventually, if it got bad enough, it would lead to structural damage and it could ultimately lead to incredible disaster. And so there are always people painting the bridge. Nobody notices, nobody applauds, nobody says thank you. It's just monotonous. And often, that's what it feels like 
taking care of our hearts and protecting our character as we're trying to move into a better future. Right? We know where we're going with our faith. We know where we're going with our parenting and our marriage. We've kind of got this future uh, ahead of us. And we're trying to make decisions that get us there. But what happens is nobody's cheering us on as we're trying to make those decisions. And we're just behind the scenes working on ourselves day after day, week after week, month after month. Nobody's thanking us. Nobody's saying, hey, I promise you, you're not going to regret that. Keep moving in that direction. And so we have to own this for ourselves. And we've just got to do uh, what maybe it comes, is not natural for us to do. And part of the way we can do this is surrounding ourselves with the right people. So don't stop paying attention to the people around you. Because life has shown us that eventually the people around us can either be a blessing to us or a burden to us. But it's up to us to decide who those people closest to us are. Let me, let me close with this. Back in 2017, I was going through a season that I could only describe as the year from hell. I'm not gonna get into all the details, but the church I was pastoring, as it was growing, we lost the lease at the building we were on and we ended up having to move six times in one year. And then one of my daughters at 15 years old, um, she had to... Uh, move out of our house because she was having such severe mental health issues. So she was living uh, across the country and she was in a program for individuals suffering mental, mental health issues. And, and my marriage started to fall apart. My marriage got to the lowest point it had ever been and uh, it looked like things were over. And I get a call one day, it was on my birthday, I get a call from a guy that I admire, He's a, I'd consider him a mentor, a guy I just love. And when I saw it was him calling, I was quick to answer because I figured he's calling to wish me a happy birthday. And instead, as I picked up the phone, I said, hey man, how you doing? And he said, hey, your wife reached out to me. He said, apparently you guys are in a really tough spot in your marriage. And my body tensed up. And I said, well, that's true, but let me tell you, what I've gone through. And I started walking through the church. I started walking through my daughter. And, so, and, he, and he just stopped me. And he goes, hold, hold, hold on. I'm not calling to berate you. I'm not calling to belittle you. I'm not calling you to mock you and make fun of you. I'm calling to pray for you. I'm calling to just encourage you. And he did. And he prayed for me. And he also said, and Dave, because I love you, you need to go get serious marriage therapy. And so my wife and I, we went for a week, we got therapy, we came back, we continued meeting with the therapist and, and our marriage is amazing today. Don't ask my wife, just, just take my word for it. No, our marriage really is amazing today, but I'm gonna tell you why. Because I've, I've done my best to surround myself with the right people and in the season where I needed help, I had a friend who called me, not to berate me, not to belittle me, but to love me. Those are the kind of people we need in our life. It takes work and it doesn't come natural. Let me pray for you. Our heavenly father, I thank you for allowing us to have community and people in our life. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know how to see the people we need closest to us and to identify them and how to uh, best surround ourselves with them. And then give us the courage to go after it and to make it happen. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.